I want to welcome you. Welcome you to each of our campuses. Welcome you online. Glad to have you here with us. There's nothing better than coming together with God's people, so I'm grateful that you're here. I love seeing your face, and I love being a part of this church. I'll be honest with you. I believe it's the best church. So I'm glad I'm here. I don't know about you. Hey, listen, I got a little family business for us today here in uh, May. So this applies to us um, first and foremost. We have been noticing some things. Our services have been getting a little full in the morning, and it's become a little unpredictable in terms of uh, knowing if there's going to be spaces available. So if you've been coming to this service for a while, if this has been your church for a while, I'm going to propose something to you, and I'm going to ask you to pray about it and receive it with an open heart, okay? Here's the deal. If, if you're like a first-time guest today and you're like, hey, what's going on right now? This isn't for you. I'm glad you're here. But for our church family, I'm talking to you. As our church has been growing, we know it's our mission to rescue the lost, to seek and save the lost so that people far from God can experience new life in Jesus. And listen, here's the thing. You can't rescue people if there's no more room in the lifeboat. And as our church has been growing, it's been one of the fastest growing churches in America the last two years. Uh, we know that we're about getting to the point. Yeah, we can cheer for that because God's good. It's coming. It's coming. We're getting to the point where we're about to start running out of space as we go into the busy, year, uh, busy part of the year. So here's what I'm doing. We're going to start another service at 4.30 p.m. Come on, somebody. I'm excited. So here's what we got. We got these cards in the back of the seats and all the seat back pockets. You'll see it sticking out of the top. Um, I am asking you to prayerfully consider moving to the PM. I want to help uh, fill up the PM and then therefore make room in the AM services for people who are far from God who need Jesus. Okay, that's why we're doing this. We're doing it to make room because I know statistics show and we've experienced this. It's true that when people wake up on a Sunday morning and they decide I need God, I need help, they're most likely to show up at the AM service. So what I'm asking is for our family, our church family who are already saved and you know the Lord, um, move to the 4.30 or 6 p.m., help make room and enjoy the p.m. party, okay? Every p.m. service, we're giving out free hot dogs so you can feed your kids because who doesn't want free food? There'll be other treats and you'll find out that the p.m. services are fun. I usually preach better. We have a lot of fun. It's great. <laughs> It's great. So sometimes you can't always control what service you go to based on, you know, random things that come up. But I'm talking about making that your normal service and moving. I'm looking for 300 people to move, okay, between our 930 and 11. I've already got like 22 people signed up uh, online. So I need 278 more people. And we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen. We're making room. And every time we've made room, God has filled that space with more souls who need Jesus Christ. So I'm believing for great things to happen. Aren't you excited about what God's doing in this church? We get to be part of a move of God. Today we're continuing our series, Live Like a King. And last week we talked about how to resist temptation and we looked at the life of David and how he did not resist temptation. And so that's a good opportunity for us to talk about what happens and what should we do 
when we do not resist temptation, when we do fall and when we fail, how should we handle that? And so I want to talk to you about that today. The title of this message is Repent Like a King. Repent like a king. We're going to talk about that and look at the life of David because he did not resist temptation. He saw a beautiful naked woman named Bathsheba and he decided he wanted a little bit of that action. So he he slept with her. He committed adultery. She got pregnant. And then to cover up the scandal, he had her husband killed. You thought your life was messed up, right? This is like a telenovela right here. Dramatic. And so we're going to pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and you can read along with me in this dramatic piece of scripture. It says this, so the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the, rich, at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal for, from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guests. Say, that's messed up. <laughs> David heard this story, and the Bible says, He was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. It's like a Tom Cruise moment. You can't handle the truth. You are that man. And it goes on to say in verse 9, Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. Verse 13, Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, Yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. The elders of his household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. Then on the seventh day, the child died. David's advisors were afraid to tell him. He wouldn't listen to reason while the child was ill, they said. What drastic thing will he do when we tell him the child is dead? When David saw them whispering, he realized what had happened. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground, washed himself, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went to the tabernacle and worshipped the Lord. After that, he returned to the palace and was served food and ate. His advisors were amazed. We don't understand you, they told him. While the child was still living, you wept and refused to eat. But now that the child is dead, you have stopped your mourning and are eating again. David replied, I fasted and wept while the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. But why should I fast when he is dead? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him one day, but he cannot return to me. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and slept with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and David named him Solomon. I want to pray, God, thank you for this passage. Thank you for your word and for your Holy Spirit, which leads us into truth, who convicts us and he comforts us when we repent. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We all know what 
It's like when you do something wrong and it causes you to be on bad terms with someone else, right? And so like maybe in your family, you've gotten in a fight with someone and then you really weren't on speaking terms for maybe a couple hours or a couple days and hopefully not much longer than that. If you've been married, you know what it's like to get in a fight with your spouse and then be mad at each other. And there's an awkwardness, there's a tension, there's a separation that happens. Yes, even in my marriage, there have been fights. Because my wife's not perfect, you know? <laughs> Why is everyone laughing? No, when it, when it, is it usually my fault? Yes, it's always my fault. It, it is honestly always been my fault. And, and when there's a fight, when there's a moment like that, there's like a separation and you feel disconnected and doesn't feel right. feels wrong when there's that gap, when there's that distance and loss of intimacy. And you know, I want to make it right. I want to restore the late relationship so that we can make up in Jesus' name as a married couple can. And it's the same with God. When you sin, it causes separation between you and God. It causes there to be a gap, a distance, and a loss of intimacy. And any time that we sin, even as Christians, there's a loss of intimacy. But the good news is there's a way to fix that. It's through repentance. When we repent, we see that restoration happens and God brings healing. There is a, a, an opportunity to learn from the life of David as he repented. This is one area we cannot learn from Jesus because Jesus never had to repent. He never sinned. He did teach us how to pray, forgive us as we forgive our debtors, but he never repented in the Bible because he never wronged anyone. But David did wrong others, and so he had to repent, and we can learn from his example. So I'm going to tell you first off what repentance is. Repentance is rejecting sin and choosing God. That is what it is. In short, in summary, it's rejecting sin and choosing God. It's very simple. The word repent in Hebrew is the word shuv, and it literally means to turn or to return to God, to turn back. It's like if you've been driving and you knew you were going the wrong way. Uh, maybe like me, sometimes you think you're too good. You don't need Maps Quest. You don't need Google Maps. You don't need Apple Maps. And you're like, I, can, I got this. I know the way. And then you start driving and all of a sudden you're like, things don't quite look right. And, and, and so then you realize I'm going the wrong way. It's time to pull a U-turn. I'm going to turn back before I get myself into a, a worse situation. And that's the same way it is when we repent. It is realizing that you're not doing the right thing. And turning to God, saying, this is wrong, I'm rejecting sin, and I'm, I'm turning to God. And I want you to understand today that repentance is a good thing. The call to repent is a blessing and a good thing. The word repentance, it gets a bad rap and it kind of has a negative connotation because I remember thinking about Hollywood uh, movies and TV shows when they depict the angry preacher who's yelling at people with condemnation saying, repent, repent. It's always some crazy guy like yelling, repent. And in reality, repentance is a lot more of a joyful, blessed experience that leads us into comfort and security and God's best for our life. It should be a lot more like this. Repent. I love you. Return to me and I will return to you. Repentance is an amazing thing that we should all learn to love. It's restorative and comforting and brings joy. So we should not think of repentance as a negative thing that is yelled at us with condemnation, but rather a comforting thing that calls to us through love. Repent. Return to me. I'm going to talk a lot about what repentance is not because there's a lot of misunderstanding. 
First, repentance is not being sorry. You need to understand the difference. We all know that people can say they're sorry and not even mean it. And in fact, in society, most of the time when we say sorry, what we really mean is I want the consequences for my choices to go away. I just want to put this behind me and move on. So I'm saying sorry because I just want it to be over with. Let's just, let's just put it behind us. So- sorry, sorry already. Sorry. You can say you're sorry and not even mean anything by it. You might not even actually care. You might be just doing something to get yourself out of something that you did. And we actually have an example of this in 1 Samuel 15. When Saul, the previous king, admitted to Samuel, he said, Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's command, for I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. But now please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you since you have rejected the Lord's command. He has rejected you as king of Israel. Now that's an interesting example. Saul essentially said, Sorry, And I'll be honest, it sounded like a pretty good apology. He acknowledged that he sinned. He asked for forgiveness. But whatever reason, God could see his heart and realize that he was not truly repentant. You can say sorry and not actually even mean anything. Here's the other aspect of that. You can feel sorry, and that's not repentance. You can feel sorry, but never change. Isn't that true? A lot of times when people say they're sorry, what they mean is, I feel bad about this. I want to I let you know I feel, feel bad. But you can say you're sorry and you can feel sorry and it not change anything. In Matthew 27, read this. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. And that sounds like a guy who was pretty sorry. He was filled with remorse. He threw the silver back to the priests and he recognized his sin. But that was not repentance. Repentance is rejecting sin and choosing God. A lot of times people say they're sorry, and what they really mean is, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I've got to deal with all this. But it's not repentance. God does not need you to say sorry. He does not need you to feel sorry. He wants you to repent. And you need to understand that repentance is not based on your feelings. It is not an, it's not driven by emotions. You might feel remorseful when you repent. You might feel a contrite in your spirit or have a broken heart about what has happened, but that is not the determining factor in if your repentance is sincere or not. Repentance is a choice and it is an action. You choose to recognize sin. You choose to then reject it and you choose God. That's good. That means that even when you're not really feeling that bad, about what you did? Because let's be honest, sometimes that happens. Sometimes you sin and you know it was wrong, but let's be honest, you don't even feel that bad about it. Like you, you, you think, I wish I felt worse about this. But I want you to know this is good news. You can still reject that sin and say, I'm choosing God. And I'm going to trust him to lead me in to his ways. He will. God wants repentance. Here's the next thing. Repentance is not punishing yourself. It's not punishing yourself. I know people who think that repentance means I'm about to go on a journey of guilt and self-condemnation. 
And they think that to repent means I've got to walk around with my head hung low in shame and, and run away with my tail between my legs. And, and that's how I'll show God that I'm really, I'm really remorseful. I'll let everybody know. I'll let God know that I feel terrible and that I'm not worthy and I'm inadequate. And that is not repentance. That's a guilt trip. That's condemnation. And that is what the enemy wants you to act like and think like, that you've got to punish yourself to somehow make up for the thing that you did. I know Christians who think this way. They think that when someone sins, well, it's all of our jobs to punish them a little bit and make them feel bad about it. And you can go sit and time out for a little while. And that's not what God says. He says, return to me and I will return to you. Right? And so we can repent immediately and not have to punish ourselves. I don't know if any of you grew up in the Catholic Church and you went and confessed your sins to a priest. Maybe he told you to do penance. Right? Maybe he said, you need to pray 50 Our Fathers and 77 Hail Marys. It's a joke. If all you had to do was pray Hail Marys and Our Fathers to get yourself right with God, then why did Jesus have to die? Right? And it's all good to pray, but it has nothing to do with repentance. This idea that somehow I'm going to earn my way back into God's good graces by praying a certain prayer a number of times is a joke. That's a works-based religion that will lead you into nothing but bondage. In fact, within the church, there was a, a historical tradition called self-flagellation where some people would whip themselves in order to show God that they were truly sorry. They would take an actual whip and whip themselves until they bled. And in, a way, in a way to say, God, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm really beating myself up here, literally beating myself up so you'll know I feel bad about this. That is a lie from hell that that somehow would please God. That doesn't please anyone besides Satan who wants to destroy you and condemn you for your sins. Jesus was already whipped so that you don't have to be whipped. All we have to do is confess our sin and he's faithful to forgive us of our sin. We don't have to punish ourselves, and we don't have to be punished because the penalty has already been paid. Let me read Romans chapter 3 uh, to you. It says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And it is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. So, so people, that's us, are made right. Right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So if we're tempted to punish ourselves, it's like we're saying Christ died for nothing because he already shed his blood in order that our blood would not have to be shed. And in Old Testament times, in David's day, when men sins, God was able to forgive them because he counted their sins in the future work of what Jesus would do on the cross. In the same way, in 2018, for those of us living in Arizona and everybody else who doesn't get to live in Arizona, when we sin, God is able to forgive us because he counts our sin in what Jesus did on the cross. 
And so we don't have to be punished because Jesus was already punished. God doesn't want you beating yourself up because Jesus was already beaten for you. You don't have to bleed because he already bled. You can repent and be forgiven and know that the penalty has been paid. Next, repentance is not promising to never sin again. You need to know this because I know that some of you have been tempted to pray prayers like this. God, please forgive me. I promise I'll never do it again. The only problem is that you might. Let's just be real. You might intend never to sin again, but you might stumble and sin again. And what happens when you just promise God, I'll never sin again, and somehow I think that me promising to never sin again is going to result in you forgiving me? Well, if I said I wouldn't do it and then I do it, does that mean you don't forgive me anymore? That's going to result in me feeling ashamed and running away from you. Like I'll never be good enough. I'll never be able to live up to my promise to never sin again. And the good news is that repentance has nothing to do with our promises. Nothing to do with our promises and everything to do with God's promises. I can't promise to never sin again and know that I'm going to be able to follow through. But God has promised that whenever I do sin, I can repent to him and receive forgiveness. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it says, Then if my people, that's us, who are called by my name, that's us, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will restore their land. Rejecting sin doesn't mean you won't be tempted to sin again. It doesn't mean you might not fall into sin again. But if you do sin again, the good news is that you can repent again. If you sin again, you can repent again. There is no limit to God's forgiveness. It's not a finite resource in heaven. You can have as much forgiveness as you need. If you sin again, you can go back to God and say, Lord, I repent. And the devil, your accuser, will come along and say, that's what you said last time. And you can tell him, that's what I say this time. I'm repenting again. Why do we think that God would somehow stop being willing to forgive our sins? He is not a man who would decide, I've had enough, right? We all know that in human relationships, you might ask someone to forgive you, and they might say, no, sorry, can't do it. Don't want to have a relationship with you anymore. You're blocked on Facebook. I don't ever want to see you again. But God will never do that. How many times will he forgive us? Jesus has upgraded us to the unlimited plan, okay? So enjoy it. Jesus told his disciples seven times 70. That's how many times you should forgive your brother. So how many times do you think God in heaven will forgive us? Seven times 70 billion? As many times as you need. There is unlimited forgiveness available to those who repent. Here's the next thing. Repentance is not making a deal with God. It's not making a deal. We've all seen movies where an airplane's going down and someone's there like, oh God, please get me out of this. I promise if you do, I'll never smoke another joint again, right? Or some various type of deal is being made, right? Like, God, if you forgive me, if you help me, God, like, I'll never do that again. God, if you get me out of this, I promise I'll, I'll go on a missions trip. God, if you do this, I promise I'll stop doing that. Like, God is not interested in making deals. And we cannot make deals with God. We just need to understand this because it's a common misconception. In order to make a deal, I have to have leverage. In order to make a deal, I have to have something you need and you have to have something I need. But we have nothing that God needs 
God doesn't need anything that I can give him. There's nothing I can do that he needs. Now listen, your mom might have told you you're special, but God doesn't need you. And that's good. It's good to know that I serve a God who doesn't need me. Because that would not be a God we're serving. I serve a God who wants me. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to see you repent, okay? And so oftentimes when people look to make deals with God, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. What they don't realize, they're actually trying to manipulate God. They're actually trying to control God and manipulate him into doing what they want. He doesn't work that way. God doesn't make deals. In fact, Jesus warns us, he says, don't make an oath. Proverbs warns us, don't trap yourself by making a rash promise to God. We can't make deals with God. We don't have leverage to negotiate. Um, Here's God's deal for us. Are you ready to hear about God's deal? You can repent and live, or you can reject me and die. That's the deal. Oh, you're like, that's not fair. No, it's very fair. God is saying, you can repent and live, which I want because I love you, or you can reject me because you have free will and die, which you deserve because you're a rule breaker and a rebel. I'm opting in for repent and live. Anybody else? Yeah, that sounds good. I'll take that. I'm not the smartest guy, but I ain't no dummy. I choose repent and live. So God, he is a good God, and he offers us the opportunity to be forgiven because of his mercy. Here's the next thing. Repentance is not relief from the consequences of sin. In verse 14, we read, it said, Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. And Nathan told David that your family is going to have a lot of drama because of what you've done, and there's going to be some consequences. Remember, though, he already said you're forgiven. God has forgiven you, but nevertheless, there will be some consequences. And we need to know that when we sin and make bad choices, we can repent and be forgiven immediately by God. But that does not mean that we will automatically get, a, get out a jail card and be free from all the consequences of our bad choices. And I think God does this as a mercy for us lest we be tempted to abuse his grace and think that I could just make sinful choices, and be, sorry, and get out, right? And like, he doesn't do that. He's saying, I forgive you, but because you have free will, I'm gonna let you choose. And if you choose repent, if you choose to sin, I will forgive you when you repent, but I'm also gonna let you experience the consequences of your choices. And so we need to know that. We need to know that sometimes when we're suffering, sometimes when we're hurting, it's because of our own choices that we exercise. And just because, here's the good thing, just because you're still experiencing the consequences of bad choices, it doesn't mean God hasn't forgiven you. He has forgiven you. He has promised to forgive you. If you confess your sins, he will forgive you of your sins. So in other words, if I murder someone, uh, let's just say that happened, it, it won't happen, okay? I hope. Um, And I go to jail. Um, If I'm in jail and I confess my sins and repent, God will immediately forgive me. It will be like the sin never happened in his sight, but I might still have to live out that sentence. Okay, that's just the reality of the world that we're in. But here's the good news. You're like, this is really bumming me out, Pastor Ryan. I thought you were cool. Um, I've got good news. The good news is that repentance is the way to be free from the long-term consequences of sin. Even though you might experience some of the short-term consequences, you will be free from the long-term consequences. 
Because we know that Jesus is going to return and he's going to restore a new heaven and a new earth. And we who believe in him and follow him will be citizens of his eternal kingdom. And in heaven, you will have no rap sheet. In heaven, there will be no record of your wrongdoings. In heaven, nobody will identify you by a title based on your mistakes. Nobody will call you a liar or a cheater or an addict or an adulterer or a thief or a murderer. You will be none of those things. You will simply be a child of God and a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that is your status for eternity. Eternity. Here's the next thing. Repentance is the only way to be saved. And this is what we alone understand as followers of Jesus. This is why what we believe is different from every other religious organization in the history of the world. Every other religious group, if you're wondering, what's the difference between all these religions? Let me explain it and summarize it. Every other religion in the history of the world says the way to be saved is through works. It's by doing some list of things, accomplishing some tasks, or being good enough. In other words, working your way into salvation, or working your way into a relationship with God, or working your way into nirvana, or working your way into being a God and having your own planet. That sounds really cool, but it's not real life. (laughs) Or you can be a follower of Jesus and be saved by placing your trust in him, repenting of your sins, and asking God to save you by his grace as a gift which has nothing to do with your actions. Those are our choices. Repent and be saved or reject God and face the consequences for our sin. In Acts chapter 2, Peter was preaching and it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we become Christians when we recognize there's no other way but Jesus. When he said, I'm the only way, it was truth. He is the only way. There is no good deed you can do that will earn your way back into God's good graces. There's no missions trip you can go on. There's no old lady to help across the street. You cannot right the wrong in your own power. The only way to be saved is by repenting of sin and trusting Jesus to save you. And that's why repentance is so good. It's such a good thing. It's a comforting thing knowing that as I repent of my sin, I'm saved by grace. I'm saved because of God's love, which never fails. So even if I blow it again after this, God's grace continues, and his forgiveness abounds, and he's merciful to us. And so we get to live with joy, joy that is not contingent upon our choices, joy that is not based on our bad decisions, but joy that is steadfast in the way that God's love is steadfast. Here, let me talk about this. Repentance does restore God's blessing in your life. Repentance does restore God's blessing in your life. It's true that even as a Christian, when you choose to sin, and I'm talking about unrepentant, willful sin, it can cause God's blessing to be blocked from your life to at least some degree. If you're not a Christian, you're like, hey, I never never become a Christian. You're really not experiencing God's blessing in your life. But even as a Christian, when we sin, we can cause God's blessing to be blocked, and it's not flowing through our life the way that he intends it to flow. 
But when we confess our sin and repent, what it does is it opens the windows of heaven back up so that God's blessing can flow in our life again. And he is ready and willing to bless us and to love us. When I was a little kid, I was seven years old, and I got mad at my mom, and I decided, I'm going to run away from home. And I was living in New Jersey. You do not want to run away from home in New Jersey, right? And that's like fleeing out into the wilderness where you'll be eaten by lions. It's a bad idea. But I wasn't a dummy. I was going to prepare for the journey. I took my sleeping bag. I took a family-sized jar of peanut butter and an Etch-A-Sketch. Because I need sustenance and I need entertainment. And I got about a couple hundred feet down the road and I was like, this is dumb. As good as peanut butter is, my mom makes better dinner. And this Etch-A-Sketch isn't that great. Right. And so I went home. I went home. And that's what repentance is. It's recognizing that what I'm doing, it might be good in some way, but it's not as good as what God can do for me. It's not as good as going back to my father's house. Right. Going back home where I'm loved. And when you go back home, right, you know that your father in heaven is going to love you the same way that he always has unconditionally and beyond your wildest imagination. When you repent of your sin, he's ready to pour out his blessing and favor on you again. David confessed his sin. He repented. He was forgiven. And God's blessing flowed in his life again. He had a son named Solomon who became a pretty big deal. He won a lot of battles. He, he won a lot of riches. And his legacy lived on as the greatest king in the history of Israel. God's blessing can flow in your life again when you repent. So do that. I want to read Psalm 51 to you. And this kind of expresses the heart behind repentance. And David wrote Psalm 51 in response to this experience where he repented because of his adultery to Nathan the prophet and before God. And here's what it says. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. When we repent, we are restored. We are restored into God's relationship, uh, his blessing, we experience joy, and our ability to worship him again is restored. And that's what David's saying about, let me sing about your forgiveness. Let me praise you again. This is someone that just murdered a dude to cover up adultery, and he's talking about praising God again. Isn't it true that when you sin, you don't feel worthy to praise God? 
If you have a misunderstanding and a confusion about what repentance is and God's grace, you will not feel worthy to praise God when you sin. The problem with that is you would never feel worthy to praise God. You've got to understand that we're saved by grace in the moment we repent. We can go back to the house of the Lord. We can come into his presence and we can worship him the way that David worshiped, knowing I'm made clean in his sight. I'm righteous. He's restoring to me the joy of salvation again. I'm not going to live in sadness based on what I did. I'm going to live in the joy of what Jesus has done. I'm going to go forward and put the bass behind me, knowing that God has already forgotten my sin. He's removed my stain. He's washed me right as snow. Come on, we know that when we repent, it brings restoration. And here's the last thing. Repentance does restore intimacy with God. It restores closeness. You might feel far from God today because you are far from God. If you've never repented of sin and asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you are far from God. And that's why he feels very far away, because he is far away, because When we don't repent, we're making choices that say, God, leave me alone. I'm sinning right now. I don't want anything to do with you. And so repentance is saying, God, I'm returning to you. I'm turning back to you. I'm rejecting sin, and I'm choosing you. You might even be a Christian who is saved, who feels like God is distant because of sinful choices. The good news is repentance allows you to return. Repentance is saying, I feel like you're far, so I'm turning back to you, and I'm going to return to you. And you need to know how God thinks about that and what he says about that. Here's what he says in Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. He's speaking to a sinful nation of Israel. And he says, I have always loved you. He says, I'm about to lay the smack down on you, but I want you to know right up front, I have always loved you. And that's how God feels about you. That's how he feels about us. Whenever we sin, whenever we blow it, and we know we've done something wrong, I want you to hear God's voice speaking to you saying, I have always loved you. Return. And here's what he says in Malachi chapter three. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. That's your promise. That's a promise from God. I've always loved you. Return to me and I will return to you. Come back to me and I will be close to you. Repentance restores intimacy with God. You can come boldly into his presence knowing that you're made right with him, that he is waiting with arms open wide to receive you again. Anyone who repents before God is received by God. He receives you back into his arms. You can go home at any time. Anytime you get off course, Christians, church, you do something wrong. You know, I'm off course right now. Course correction. I'm repenting. I'm returning to God. I'm getting back on track. I'm not beating myself up. I'm not going to skip church for a few weeks and feel bad about myself. I'm not going to block all my friends so they don't know what I'm going through. I'm going to acknowledge my sin, reject it, and choose God. And then like David, we can freely worship him and have restored intimacy. It said in verse 20, he went to the tabernacle and worshiped the Lord. And that's what we can do. The moment we repent, we can come into his presence, be near to him again, and worship him with boldness. Let's stand to our feet right now. In Mesa and in Ahwatukee, we're going to stand and get ready to respond to this message. There are three types of response that we have in this moment. One, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is a moment for you to repent of your sin and say, God, I need Jesus. I believe he died for the cross 
for my sins, and I believe that he rose again so that I could have eternal life. You can do that right now. You can start praying to him right now. If you're a Christian and there's been sin in your life, I don't need to know what it is because God knows what it is. And let me just remind you, he knows what it is. You can't hide it from him. So if you're ready to confess and repent of that sin, you can do it right now. And no, God is saying, that's all right, I've always loved you. So return to me and I'll return to you. We're going to repent and then we're going to worship. And if you're right here today and you're like, hey, I don't need to repent right now. Awesome, man. That's great. Enjoy this week. What we can do is worship God and thank him for the forgiveness he's already given us and for the blessing he's already restored to us. So let's do that right now. We're going to pray, and then we're going to praise. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your loving kindness and mercy. And so, Lord, we repent of sin. We turn to you, and we trust you to receive us with open arms. God, I pray that you'd wash every sin away and restore to us the joy of our salvation. God, open our mouth that we might sing your praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's worship. Let's worship.